That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, here we are, another episode of Same Old Song, the second Sunday of Easter, also known as Curate or Associate Rector Sunday um, in the pulpit. So, Seminarian Sunday. Yeah. So uh, this episode is dedicated to um, all the associates and curates and uh, um, retired clergy who are preaching this Sunday. So anyway, uh, this one's for you. While the rector still is coming out of his or her coma, uh, it is also Tapau Sunday. Tapau, Jake, I won't even bother asking you because you don't know these kinds of things. I, I don't. Tapau was a was a Vulcan. T apostrophe P A U um, in the original Star Trek series. Yeah. And I've, prob- I've probably, actually, you know, I don't know as much about that. I just uh, like to pretend I do. So th- I'm sure there's some Trekkie listening that's going to be like, actually, Tapau is a... But, so it also is the name of a of a band, a One Hit Wonder. You know that song mm. from when you were probably in about seventh grade, maybe maybe sixth grade, uh, Heart and Soul. Oh, loved that song. And, uh, yeah. So anyways, the reading from Acts 4, it talks about that. Oh, nice. So that's why I call it Tapau Sunday. Anyways, give anyways. a little bit of heart and soul. So uh, give a little bit of love to grow. <laughs> uh, so here we are, and uh, like I said, this is the first Sunday after um, Easter, and um, typically. But it is the second Sunday of Easter. That's right. Easter was the first Sunday. That's of Easter, right. But it is the first Sunday after Easter. It's confusing. Anyways, second Sunday of Easter. Let's do it. Absolutely. So uh, we um, we kick off right from the beginning with uh, our readings today are from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Then we have 1 John chapter 1, all the way to 2-2. Two, two. And then, not to be confused with a 2-2, two, two, but a 2-2. Two, two. <laughs> and then we have John 20, verses 19 to 31. And so... Um, Great. Well, let's uh, let's jump right into the mix. And so we have Acts chapter four, and uh, and I think what's a very powerful passage part of this is that you see what the church is—the fruit of the resurrection. This isn't um, communists. What it is? Well, uh, that, and uh, you know, uh, maybe maybe the one thing Jesus isn't here to fight in the world is socialism, although uh, they did give of their their stuff freely. And so this is what we see happening. Right, they here. were not compelled. To yeah. Away. So this is a. But this is one of the things that we see here is really the fruit of the gospel, the gospel creating a new community where uh, people are um, actually for the first time concerned about others, not because they're getting something out of it, but because Christ has died for them, risen for them, and is creating this new community. One thing I think it's important to note is that this passage in the lectionary takes place, the actual events of Acts 4 take place after Pentecost, Mm -hmm. because, you know, this is the second Sunday of Easter, and so people are thinking... The resurrection has happened, 
And so look at all these Christians so inspired by the resurrection. Yeah. But it actually took them a while to get their act together. Uh, so uh, don't just assume for yourself, preacher, or for your congregation that you can just say, because of the resurrection of Jesus, look how we can all live. Look how we can give stuff away and... Let's and please sign up. We need more ushers. Like that's that's not how you should preach this passage for a couple reasons. But for one, even the disciples themselves did not go out there and live that resurrection lifestyle until after Pentecost. So you do need a dose of the ghost to bring about this level of right. sanctification. And yeah, absolutely. And also the key thing is is that this is fruit, uh, not a work. This wasn't something that they were prescribed. Like Jesus didn't raise from the dead and then give them the Holy Spirit and say, now, this is how I'd like you all to live. You know what I mean? It's, and the key part of understanding that is, is that, they, uh, that those who believed were of one heart and soul. Uh, so they, um, they had been converted. There was a conversion here. There was a heart transplant. As Thomas Kremner uh, writes in that colic, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires in him. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. So this is a, this is a fruit, not a, um, not a work. Yeah. And I think, you know, the key thing is that the apostles here give their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And I think that's something interesting here because so often when you think of, you know, you have a tent revival Mm -hmm. or a gospel crusade or something like that, people will get up and will talk about their testimony and their testimony is often... Me, 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 me. Yeah, yeah. I was like this and now I'm like that. Uh, You can get with this or you can get with that. Jesus is the the Pepsi challenge. You know, my life used to be like this, but then I found Jesus and now I have all sorts of friends and a wonderful smile. So, but (laughs) that's not the testimony. But the testimony of the apostles is not look at us. The testimony of the apostles is look at Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and he is risen from the dead. And I think Easter and this whole season is a helpful corrective Mm. to the message sometimes that the church gives is that um, Jesus died for your sins, Jesus died for your sins, Jesus died for your sins, which he did, and praise God. But also, Jesus defeated death. And I think one of the reasons that we don't talk about that as much is because our culture is already in such a denial of death. To acknowledge the resurrection means we have to admit the fact that we're all going to die. But let's admit that we're going to die, and let's admit that Jesus has defeated death, and because of that, we have this hope of eternal life. Well, so, and so there's a there's kind of a wonderful thing. Isn't that wonderful? I would love to hear more preachers talk about Jesus died for your sins, even that too. I mean, so often we get. I know. Yes, me too. I just I live in Waco, and it's Baptistlandia, yeah. and so there's a lot of talk about Jesus but, dying for sins, which is great. But, but I do, you know, this is a whole picture. I think there's there's the there's an there is an emphasis in Americanity testimony, whether you're in Waco, Texas, or in New York City, that the testimony is me, 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 me. And, uh, you know, Jesus, look at, Jesus has become my means to an end, uh, means to a wonderful person, means to a successful life. And uh, that is uh, not the case. Uh, The testimony of the apostles is, indeed, Christ has lived, uh, died, and risen, all for you, and defeated death. Yeah. And so, and we see that uh, in John's epistle, that's a perfect segue into our epistle reading, 1 John 1 uh, to 2, 2. <laughs> anyway, um, that joke never gets old. But uh, we see that uh, the, the testimony... I'm already tired of it. The testimony of the apostles is not a metaphor. 
<laughs> it's actual uh, real stuff. And uh, this is what John, he opens up his epistle. He's like, you know, we declare to you a wonderful metaphor for spring. No, he's like, what was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. I mean, if this, if, if this isn't what he said, then this is a lie. And so, I mean, just straight up, what he is proclaiming to you is what he's seen and touched. And he says it over and over mm -hmm. again. I mean, he says it at the beginning, heard, seen, looked, and touched. And then again, he says, we declare to you what we have seen and heard. I mean, he's mm -hmm. sort of like, I'm telling you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, yeah. so help me God. Uh, and I'll swear on a stack of Bibles. He's just saying that this thing is a really happened, and it is the real deal, and I saw it with my own eyes. So that's, I think, really significant here. Um, and the gospel... The message of Christianity has never been just an idea. It's never been, you know, you have um, starting in the 19th century and and in Europe, Germany, and then coming over to the States, William James, and but the kind of predecessors of it, Adolf von Harnack, and all these folks that kind of want to make religion about this feeling of dependence or feeling of trust and feeling of security, and it's all very metaphorical and it's all very ephemeral and. And, um, and like you said, Jake, a lot of that stuff kind of still lives in American Christianity, Americanity, as you called it. And that's one of the things where it's kind of this very subjective feelings-based, emotions-based thing. And John is like, I don't care how you feel. This happened. Like, mm. it, is, it is concrete. I saw it. I touched it. I smelled it. Uh, I was there. And I testify to you. And so that's why this, this resurrection that we proclaim for human beings is not metaphorical the forgiveness for sins is not metaphorical it is it is real yeah so it's powerful and and, and i think say something about that and then i want to say something and then i'll give it back to you and then back to me and it'll just we'll go that way how's that isn't sound? it as awesome that's how it always works but um uh we have then i mean this part of i love what he says if we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness we lie and uh, do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And uh, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. I mean, that's, that's the wonderful thing. I love how so often in Americanity and uh, American religion, whether it's liberal or conservative, it's always like, you know, Jesus, Jesus, but you better do it. And uh, John flips the script and he's like, uh, you're not doing it, but, you know what I mean? Uh, the blood of Jesus. Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. So uh, where we always put the butt to like follow up with the law, uh, John here puts the butt and follows up with the gospel. Yeah. Uh, American preachers, preachers all over and through the centuries kind of always want to save the law from the jaws mm. of the gospel at the very end <laughs> yeah. of the sermon. And uh, don't do that. Um, the other, so the, the thing here also, because of our moralist ears, we have probably done this or experienced someone doing this to us where this verse where it says you can't have fellowship with Jesus while you're walking in darkness. Like that verse gets used as a bludgeon to say, hey, you are sinning in various ways or maybe one particular way, usually one that has to do with sex or who knows mm -hmm. what else. You're dating a non-Christian or you're cohabitating or some something that you're doing wrong. Uh because of that walking in darkness, you can't have fellowship with Jesus. That's not what this passage says, because when he says how he talks about walking in the light, he says uh, it is related to being 
honest and confessing sins. So, because he says, if we say we have fellowship with him uh, while we're walking in darkness, we're lying. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That doesn't mean, walking in the light does not mean being a perfect Eagle Scout Christian. What it means is being honest. Because he then says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, then he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins. So walking in the light means getting honest. It means confessing your sins. It means being real about who you are. Mm. And once you do that, yes, as he says, you have fellowship with one another and we are cleansed from all sin. It, it, you sort of think about uh, people in a meeting uh, for AA when they all go around the circle and say, I am so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. Mm. In all that, That's walking in the light. Yeah. And then they, yes, they do all have fellowship with one another, and there is a cleansing that happens. And, and the, the way you walk in darkness is, as he says at the end of this passage, by saying you're not a sinner. Yeah, that's right. He says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So walking in the light for a Christian is confessing that you're a sinner. Yeah. Walking in darkness as a Christian is pretending like you're not a sinner and pretending like you don't need Jesus. Yeah. So th- this is not a moralism kind of passage. This is a, are you honest about your life or are you dishonest about your life? Uh, and if you're honest about your life, it means you say you're a sinner, and that's the spring of forgiveness and fellowship and repentance and all that sort of stuff. The Christian life of sanctification, holiness, does not begin in me try harder to your your or like me do it. Your like inner two year old. It it begins with a I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Yeah, and I mean I love that too because if you don't believe you're a sinner, then you miss the profundity of what he says when we confess our sins. You know, it's he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, I love that because of Jesus. I mean, that's that's the profound thing is that because of Jesus, God is not only faithful, but he's just to declare to cleanse us from all our sins. And why? Because Christ has died and risen and uh, and resurrected for us, you know? And so it's not that just God's up there when we mess up and Jesus is there and like, hey, pretty please forgive him, you know, with sugar on top. It's like, it's just that you declare him innocent. It's just that you cleanse him from all unrighteousness. I mean, that is the profundity of the whole thing. And then we can say that we're actually sinners without any fear. Uh, we can say that we're sinners because we've been forgiven and he's working all things out in our life for the good. Yeah, and I think so many uh, people are like, you know that song by Norm Greenbaum, mm. Spirit in the Sky? Mm. Incredible guitar riff. But um, he, it's, in it, it says, never never been a sinner. Never, never sinned, sinned, yeah. I got a friend in Jesus. Mm. Like, that song, it's almost good. And then it says that I line. Know. And this is where First John comes in and says... You know, that Christianity begins with the acknowledgement of a sinner, which is so crazy because so many people think Christianity is for the perfect people. And if they're sinners, they can't come in, uh, come in uh, to, the, to the party. The, the other thing that is beautiful and wonderful about this First John passage is that he gives us um, the, the scriptural basis, one of many, but this is a key one, of the idea that as you are a Christian sin will continue to happen in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so much teaching is kind of this idea that we referenced in the beginning. Like, I used to be a sinner, and now I'm a Christian, so my life is better. And one of the things that goes along with that is like, and so you should 
be sinning less and less as you go on. And if you're not, then clearly it didn't take, and you have to rededicate your life to Christ one more time. You have to get rebaptized. You have to walk down the aisle one more time. You have to do whatever it is. And uh, John here acknowledges the reality that sin continues in the life of the believer. He says, my little children, and so, so pastoral and tender in that tone, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And again, we don't want anybody to sin. Sin is the worst. Uh, it destroys us and others. But, so he's saying we don't want you to sin, but he says if anyone does sin, so this this is the pastoral comforting word, and this is one of the four comfortable words, meaning the four sentences of scripture in the prayer book where you're supposed to read after the confession and absolution. If anyone does sin, acknowledging the reality that this still happens, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's the atoning sacrifice, or in the old language, propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Boom. And so, uh, there's just, uh, this is where you get what Luther calls simul justus et peccator. You're simultaneously justified and a sinner, which is why just because you have sinned, it doesn't make you less of a Christian. It doesn't, uh, so many Christians are anxious and guilty and feeling just awful all the time because they feel like they're not making the grade. And it's because they've been fed a distorted Christianity. This is not me blessing sin or saying it doesn't matter how you act. Um, But what I am saying is that the idea that sin automatically starts decreasing in your life just because you're a Christian, that's not true. And the ongoing presence of sin does not mean that you are not a Christian. Yeah. It's just you're you're at a different point in your whole eternal process of sanctification, which God will yeah, bring to completion. That's right. He will finish the work he started in you. That is so good, Aaron. I remember uh, talking with a woman one time, and we used to have a, th- a food pantry here at Calvary Church. And anyway, and I'd seen her about you know, six times. And I was like, that, you know, just so I think it's so wonderful that you're here, et cetera, et cetera. Just trying to encourage her. And she was like, well, you know, if you only knew what I did, I'm here working off some sins, you know, and, um, and oftentimes, I mean, that also gets taught. And John blows that out of the water here as well, because, you know, uh, you can't make up for your sin. I think that's something that, you know, oftentimes we think that it's somehow we can make up for it. And he's like, no, no, no. And this is kind of where the importance of like this idea, this atoning work comes in. He says, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the good mm-hmm. news of the gospel is it's not just for yours only, but for the sins of the whole world. I mean, literally in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he has made the whole world right. You know, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like he tiptoes right to the edge of universalism there. I mean, I'm not, we're not endorsing it, not endorsing it officially, but he tiptoes right there. And, uh, but that is the thing, we cannot make up for it. But you have an advocate with the Father, uh, a good and loving Lord named Jesus, who's your righteousness. And uh, who atones for so your sins? So we've got a call coming in now, Jake, from a Calvinist <laughs> yeah, yeah, who yeah. Uh, um, who wants to explain limited atonement to yeah, us yeah. in light of this passage. So. <laughs> just kidding. John MacArthur. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for calling in, long time li- long time listener, first time caller. Uh, so um, the other, the other wonderful thing about this passage is uh, we have an advocate with the Father. Uh. This. I mean, you, listener, and you, Jake, and me, we all want people, you know, there's always, there's something you want, and we often try in life to get somebody to help us get Mm. that thing. Um, 
you know, my daughter is going to be applying to college next year. And of course, she wants she wants somebody on the inside to help her. Uh, if you're trying to get a job, you want somebody, in, you know, all this kind of thing happens all the time. And what this presents to us is that Jesus Christ is the one appealing on our behalf to the Father. It's it's um, it's a human image, sort of a, a legal advocacy kind of thing. So um, don't. Don't don't hear from this like God's like I don't know if I should forgive him. God the Father's like I'm I'm, I'm the bad cop and Jesus is the good cop. Like no no let him off. He won't do it again. That's like don't make it too anthropomorphic. Yes. But just hear and hear the 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 heart of the Son, the second person of the Trinity, um, and just the compassion of Jesus for the sinner in terms of advocating on your behalf. To God the Father, who's, by the way, whose property is always to forgive. So it's not like Jesus has to persuade yes. God to do something he doesn't want to do. So just make sure you hear that. But it's just, it shows the heart of Jesus Christ mm. to you, which is a beautiful thing. And, you know, and going back just to what we said, it's important that this is true, you know, because uh, as uh, as our gospel bridges into John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, uh, you and I aren't there. We're kind of in a Thomas boat. I mean, this, this, this particular gospel is written for those of us who weren't there and that we rest upon, um, we rest upon the authority and the message of the apostles, you know? Uh, and so we have this amazing scene uh, where you have the, the image of doubting Thomas, you know, but... Uh, uh, I think that's an unfair um, illustration. What do you think about that, Aaron? Yeah, so I love talking about this passage because I feel like I'm still trying to rebut a sermon mm. I heard 25 years ago mm. from a preacher who used this passage to argue that Thomas didn't need a resurrection mm. because as the disciples were all hiding and locked in this uh, upper room out of fear in John chapter 20 after the resurrection... You know, Jesus comes and appears, like he passes through the locked door, he shows them the hands on the side, they're all excited, and uh, and Thomas isn't there. And so when Thomas comes back after picking up the dry cleaning, they're like, we saw Jesus! And Thomas is like, no way, I'm not going to believe uh, until I see the marks in his hands and his feet. And so this preacher argued, I'm sad to say it was an Episcopal preacher, argued that Thomas was out there doing the work of the kingdom, doing the work of the gospel, ministering to the poor and the sick, which is nowhere in the passage, but just, (laughs) and then use that to say, you know, (laughs) Thomas... Thomas is like our example because he didn't need a resurrection so uh, awful. to go out there and do do the good works. And Thomas so, was you know, hiding, probably standing on top of a toilet seat, smoking, like, what the fudge? <laughs> what did I get myself into? Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah, he was probably at the 7-Eleven around the <laughs> corner getting a pack of Twinkies and a Slurpee. Uh, so, yeah, um, I think... This passage does have a lot of really important stuff to say. It's a beautiful uh, passage, uh, and it and it is uh, first the passage underlines the importance of the resurrection. The opposite of saying it doesn't matter. Um, Jesus himself clearly wants the disciples to realize he is really a real person who is really raised from the dead, because he says like, if you don't believe me, here are my hands and here's the wound in my side. Um, and of course, really wants Thomas to believe too. He's so humble with Thomas and so gentle with Thomas. Like here, put your finger, touch my side. Yeah. Um, and so, 
And of course, John ends this by saying, this is written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Not that this was some sort of fake myth mm-hmm. uh, of it's supposed to motivate us to more ethical conduct. Mm. Um, so this is, this everywhere underlines the importance of the resurrection. I think in terms of what we do with Thomas here, um, I think what to me this offers is uh, a way to say to people who do doubt, Jesus is not mad at you for your doubting. He is compassionate to you in your doubting. And your doubting does not change the reality of the resurrection. Um, like we see in the other accounts of the resurrection story, it took the disciples a long time to figure out that this was really real. You know, in the in um, John's telling of the resurrection, Mary thinks Jesus is the gardener, and yet it doesn't change the fact that the resurrection actually happened. And yeah. so, um, it's it's you know your doubt, your weakness, your frailty. God understands that too, and His resurrection stands. Uh, apart from how you feel about it today or what your mental condition is mm. or how you, how strong your beliefs are today or not. Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's, I think several things you could highlight. The first is, is that it begins, um, you know, that, uh, that first day of the week on the resurrection and everybody there is doubting. You know what I mean? Everybody has doubted what's happened and they don't believe, despite everything Jesus has taught, you know, they don't believe the lady's testimony. And Jesus rolls right up into this place and says, peace be with you. I mean, that is insane. These people have all betrayed him. They didn't believe a single word. If this was Jacob Christ, I mean, I would have dropped in and laser beamed some people. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, like some dudes would die. You would have kicked down that door. But Jesus comes in and he says. You would have been like rappelling down from the helicopter. I would have like gone in through like a wall, like vision. the window. Like vision and just like (laughs) laser beamed some dudes. But anyway, and like left six of them in a pile of ash. And then been like, now. Deny me, will you, Peter? <laughs> so, but anyway. Like, he gets three laser blasts. But he comes in there and he breathes on them. He gives them, like, a taste of his spirit. And he says, like, if any, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they're retained. So there's, like, authority here in this forgiveness. And so this sets the stage then so that when Thomas comes up. And, you know, there, you can play on this. You can talk about the distinction between genuine doubt and cynicism. And I think that there's like, gen- we all have doubts. There are moments when I lay in bed at night and I'm like, what the hell am I involved in? You know what I mean? Is this beard really a good idea yeah. or yeah, not? Yeah, is this beard? Yeah. And then the beard like, you know, caresses my neck and says, yes, it's all right. Keep going. So anyway, but this whole thing just, you know, there's a difference between cynicism and doubt. Cynicism, you know, doesn't like denies all evidence, denies all like you know it's just it's built in it's resting in it's like it's it's convictions as opposed to uh like doubt like well what's this all about and then so but this is the thing with with genuine doubt you know jesus shows up a week later and uh, unlike the Car- the great caravaggio painting where like thomas's hand is in that wound i don't think anything mm-hmm. but all the doubts your doubts, your, um, you know, your, like your sin is forgiven in the wounds of Jesus. And in the wounds of Jesus, he rolls right up to you and says, peace be with you. Even you doubter in the congregation. And, you know, and as you said, peace be with you. All of this has been done. And he's not doing this for every Tom, Dick and Harry. Uh, He's done it for Thomas. And Thomas is an apostle. He did it for John. So that which you they have seen, that which they've touched, that which they've heard, that which they have 
uh, you know, encountered and proclaim, they proclaim to us. And so we rest on that message that Jesus is the Son of God because it's a faithful and true message. It's not a metaphor for spring. It's a faithful and true message about God who's come to earth and has forgiven your sins. It's like when the eagles reunited for their Hell Freezes Over tour. Another metaphor of resurrection. Oh, that's so good, uh, dude. That is so hilarious. <laughs> so the, I think the, the thing that I love here, just I want to underline what you said, this peace be with you. Like Jesus shows up for people that had failed in every single way possible, and they had not repented for their sin. Like, they were terrified in the upper room. They were basically trying to figure out, how do we get out of Jerusalem without being arrested and killed? Because everybody knows who we are, and there's wanted posters everywhere. Um, and so, I, I just, I contrast that so much with the way, like, if you want Jesus to come into your life, you have to, you have to make a way. You have to, like, you know, repent. You have to, you know, uh, basically prepare your heart for the Lord to come mm. in. Ugh. And, and you have to open the door. Now, you know, behold, I, that, that, taking that verse out of context from Revelation chapter 3, behold, I stand at the door and knock, etc., etc., which is a verse, by the way, for people who are already Christians. It's not about conversion. And, um, uh, but here, they don't open the door. Hmm. He just comes into, to, into their thank midst. Thank God he's not and, a gentleman. Let's just say that. Thank God he's not a gentleman. Thank God he just has a, has, you know, he just comes in and he says, yeah, not you guys really disappointed me, uh, or gosh, you know, uh, I, was it so hard, you know, um, uh, for you to stick with me in that Garden of Gethsemane? Uh, and um, no. he just says, peace be with you. Yeah, and with all and, and those... That's, there's those... another way of saying, I forgive you, and he makes sure Thomas hears it too. He comes back a week later to make sure Thomas knows too, in spite of his doubt, he's forgiven. Yeah, and just, uh, you know, and it's by those wounds... With those wounds in front of them, and preacher, that's what you're doing with words. You got to present the wounds, the wounds of Christ, and then you know, do not believe, do not doubt, but believe. And I love what happens here. Thomas goes, "My Lord and my God." And this is just a little uh, apologetic lesson. You know, a lot of people want to say Jesus didn't say he was God. Uh, Thomas declares him God here, and Jesus isn't like, "Hey, hey, 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 settle down." He's like, "Yep, you're right." Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have come to believe. And so we stand on that. We stand on that testimony. We stand on the creed of the apostles, and that's the good news of Easter. That on that creed, on that testimony, we know that God comes to sinners and says, "Peace be with you." God comes to sinners and He gives them His Spirit. Uh, God comes to sinners and with His wounds says, "Do not doubt, but believe." And through believing, may you have life in his name. Amen. Well, well, uh, that'll do it for the second Sunday of Easter, and we look forward to uh, giving you our sermon notes next week as well. Until then, uh, keep it crispy, keep it clean, <laughs> and uh, don't grow a beard like Jake. Amen. But if you, if you do, oil it regularly. Yes. <laughs> Somebody's looking. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. 
Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll. It's